finished last week in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8. We'll be preaching through verse 9 and 10 today, and then all of Ezekiel chapter 3. The title of the message is the message of the gospel. Last week we talked about some principles of our call. And we recognized, as we looked at these principles of our call, that our call is very similar to Ezekiel's call in many ways. That he was called to this people. That he was called to do so um, having no promise that they would respond to him. And yet, though though he had no promise that they would respond to him, he was still called to give the message anyway. Thus saith the Lord God. And interestingly enough, we'll find out this week, he has promised quite the opposite, that they will not listen to him. We also recall that he was called to be unafraid, to stand up and to give the word of God unafraid and unashamed. But you know, as we talked this morning, I gave that analogy of math and how sometimes you have something in math and you have an equation and you can't really appreciate this math concept until such time as it becomes real to you. Once you're able to apply some of this concept, then it becomes real to you. And we talked about that this morning as we thought about what we've been talking about about Thanksgiving. We've defined Thanksgiving, we put the formula in place, but how should that work itself out in our lives? And so today we talked about how that should work itself out in our lives this morning. Well, we're going to kind of do the same thing this evening. Last week we saw Ezekiel's call, and we kind of compared that to our call. The fact that we have no guarantee that people will respond to our message, and that we need to be fearless in delivering the message of God. Well, this week we're going to learn a little bit more about this message, the message that we've been called to deliver, as we look at the message he had been called to deliver, and as we do so, it's going to help us, just like it would this morning, or just like applying the concepts of mathematics would help us appreciate the formula, applying, recognizing some elements of how we can make this message prominent in our lives will help us understand the call that God has given to us and help us apply that better. So we'll begin in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9, and we'll walk through and see two helpful lessons that will aid us as we seek to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. It's a very appropriate thing for us right now. Evan had been talking about uh, the friend that he's been witnessing to and Peyton and her opportunities, and Cheryl was talking to me this morning about the numerous opportunities she's had of late. So it seems like right now we have some opportunities. Mike is free to, to speak uh, at his workplace to various people and the temps that come and go and, and such. And so, so we, we have opportunities already. And let's not let that discourage us from making and finding opportunities as well. Two helpful lessons that will aid us as we seek to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. The first one, we need to internalize the message. We need to internalize the message. Let's start back a little bit, just for some context, in Ezekiel chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. And thou, God speaking to Ezekiel, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And they shall, and, and thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. 
for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. And there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Skip to verse 10. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart and hear with thine ears, and go get thee to them of the captivity unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Here we see Ezekiel is given a scroll. It's given to him by a hand from the heavens. The hand unrolls the scroll and bears its contents to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel sees that written on both sides of this scroll are lamentations and woe and mourning, as he says in the scriptures. Ezekiel was told by God then to eat this scroll. Now, perhaps as you read that, that sounds a little bit familiar to you. This is not the only time in Scripture where a man is charged with the expectation that he would eat a book or a scroll. In Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, John was commanded to eat a little book containing the works of God, which John said was sweet in his mouth, but bitter in his belly. Likewise, Ezekiel describes the words of the scroll to be in his mouth as honey for sweetness. It's interesting. I, I don't know. Ezekiel doesn't necessarily describe here as to the ramifications of this scroll upon his belly. If it was, um, if it was sweet or if it was bitter in his belly, he just says that the words in his mouth were as sweetness. But as we carry this understanding through to what is taught in Revelation chapter 10, what we see here is that the difference between words as they sound coming out and words as they affect us as believers. Let me give you an example. Sometimes we talk about some of the things that terrible people are doing in this world. We talk about things that atheists are doing to remove... We're, we're coming into the season, are we not? Where Christmas is under attack. And they're going to want to remove every manger. They're going to want to remove every name of Christ. They're going to want to remove everything that is distinctively Christian from Christmas. Or we think perhaps of Pastor Saeed. And we think of his turmoil there as he's in prison. And we think about these struggles that he's going through. And we think about the people that are doing these things. And we preach a message. And perhaps you're telling your friends and family, or I'm standing behind the pulpit, and we're telling them, look, guess what's going to happen? These people are going to be judged. One day they'll stand before God, and all of these atheists who say there are no God will just, their, their jaws will drop to the floor as they stand before Almighty God. 
And it's a message that can be kind of sweet in our mouths, can't it? It can taste kind of sweet in our mouths to think of justice. To think of the day when these people will stand before God and finally get what's coming to them. But if you really digest the message you're delivering, when it, remember this morning we talked about the bowels, we talked about my, my uh, time at the doctor and, and how that kind of, that rock forms in your belly when you get bad news and how all of your being can be affected and, and just kind of the very core of your being. And as we look at the Hebrew here, when he says, when he's charged in verse 3 to cause his belly to eat and to fill his bowels with this roll, in other words, the very core, the very fibers of his being are intended to be filled with this message. See, when John ate the message in Revelation chapter 10, he said that message was sweet in my mouth, but when it finally hit my core, it was bitter. Think about the message that we deliver. Think about the judgment. Think about those atheists who are seeking to strip every bit of Christ out of Christmas. And we think about the day they stand before God and we say they'll get what's coming to them. But think a little deeper. They are going to, apart from the mercy of God, spend an eternity burning in hell. There's nothing sweet about that. It might sound good coming out of our mouths but the reality is so grave. And then think about this. What's the difference between that atheist who's seeking to strip every bit of Christ out of Christmas, what's the difference between that guy or that girl and you? Is it how good you are? All the good things you've done? What is going to be the difference on Judgment Day between that person who stands before God and hears, depart from me, or hears, guilty, and you, who will see the arms of Jesus Christ wide open and saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's not going to be your favor with God or your goodness or your righteousness. The only difference will be that old rugged cross. The only difference will be the mercy of God on you. The only difference between you and them is Jesus Christ. At some point in your past, by the grace of God, you heard the message of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit impressed upon you the reality of your sin. You humbled yourself before God and accepted the gift that was freely offered. God did it for you and you know God could do it for them as well. And this should make you pray for them. And as this message, which is sweet in your mouth, but the message which can get a little bit heavy in your belly, bitter in your belly, should cause you to pray. So Ezekiel ate this scroll. He doesn't describe the bitterness here. Maybe it was there, maybe it wasn't. But what he does describe is that the message was indeed on his tongue very sweet. A message of vindication for God. A message of judgment upon sin. We move ahead to verses 10 and 11. We read them together. We'll come back to 4 through 9 in a moment in our second point. 
The consuming of this scroll filled with lamentations and woe was a symbolic representation. We, we've been talking about biblical interpretation in the mornings, and this is an area of prophecy and vision. And when we deal with prophecy and vision, we're not speaking of that which is literal. And the, the vision itself bears that out. Ezekiel bears out that he is seeing this in a vision, that God is doing something supernatural here. And so we shouldn't necessarily see it as literal, that he was literally doing these things. He was doing it in a vision, as it were. And it's intended to represent the internalization of the message which God had sent him to deliver. We read verses 10 through 11, and God is specifically commanding Ezekiel to allow this message to penetrate his entire being. Every word that God spoke, he expected Ezekiel both to hear as well as to receive. He says, eat it. Let your stomach consume it. Let it fill your bowels, the entirety of your being. Let every ounce of you be filled with this message, Ezekiel. Hearing and receiving are, very, are two very different concepts, aren't they? Now, in a church like Legacy Baptist Church, you hear God's Word quite regularly. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says this, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I just read three verses to you, the Word of God. All three are commands, positive commands. A command to make sure that all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking with all malice is put away from you. A command of husbands to love your wives and a command of children to obey your parents. You've heard them. You're believers. You love God. You believe God's word to be true. You believe that God has never given you a command you cannot obey. We read verses that promise that if we obey, we can see blessing. But, you know, hearing them isn't enough, is it? It really never is. We need to receive these commands. They need to come to a place in our lives where the Word of God gets from our eyes and our ears and it works its way down to the very fiber of our being so that the Word of God is not just heard and believed but becomes an extension of who we are. So that when we live our lives, we are living our lives as an extension of the commands that have been given to us by God's Word. We need to eat it. We need to chew it. We need to swallow it. We need to consume it. It needs to consume us. It needs to get down to the very core of what motivates us, what motivates our very existence. This was the command that God gave to Ezekiel. Don't just hear and repeat the words of God, Ezekiel. As a pastor, sometimes we can be, I can be tempted to do this. It's very easy for anybody to read the Bible and tell people what the Bible is saying. It's another thing for somebody to take the Bible, internalize it, and overflow it to God's people. God's calling on Ezekiel here to invest in the message. 
And as he invests in the message, the message will pour out of him with authority, with compassion, and with resolve. There's quite a difference, is there not, between a person who is relaying something from experience and a person who is relaying something that they have never had experience with. Now perhaps Evan and I could stand up here today and Evan could seek to describe what it's like to live through a Category 5 hurricane. And he could do all the reading, and he could do all the research, and he could say Category 5 hurricanes have winds uh, that are this, this um, fast and this strong, and the waves get this high, and it's terrible, and you're without power for weeks, and all the roofs are torn off of houses, and all the glass is broken from the debris flying through, and you could get that from Evan. And then you could listen to me, who my sophomore year in college got to live through a Category 5 hurricane, Hurricane Ivan in Pensacola. And I could tell you how there were 80 guys crammed into this small little space and there was water dripping on our heads and we were in a completely concrete building and we could still hear it creaking and see it flexing. And we could see the windows waffling from the wind. And the shatterproof windows were shattering as particles and debris were flying through them. I could tell you how I got to spend a night sleeping in a ball return, a bowling ball return. Talk about not being very comfortable. You know, those bowling ball returns aren't exactly that long. And your foot you don't shift right, kind of get stuck in the return because my head was on the other end. I didn't want it on the end that balls come out because it's just weird. And so I was laying on this thing and I could tell you how I had it good because we men were in the building that had the ice rink. So at least as the ice was melting because the power was out, we were getting a little bit of cooling. But the folks that were in some of the other shelters around campus didn't have an ice rink melting to cool them down while they were dealing with gale force winds and shattering glass. And I could tell you how for the next several weeks we went around to Pensacola and we cut trees and we hauled wood and we helped people pick up their lives because many lives had been destroyed. And you know, there's a difference between Evan reading a book about hurricanes and describing to you the devastation and somebody who's lived through it. And somebody who could tell you the stories. Well, ladies and gentlemen, see, here's the thing. You have been saved by grace through faith. You aren't just giving a message that you know. You're giving a message that you've lived and experienced to some degree or another. My question is, how much have you internalized that message? You've been saved. You can reflect that. Say, Pastor, I'm not very good at giving the gospel. Can you tell them what God did to you? Can you tell them what God did in you? If you can tell them that, then you can give them the gospel. Because that's what happened to you. The good news hit you. But what about the rest of it? What about the rest of the Bible? Is it internalized? See, it's one thing for you to be able to spout off what you know about the Bible. It's another thing if you can tell them what you know, what you've experienced about faith. 
about prayer, about mercy, about kindness, about love, about a providing God, about a healing God. Have you internalized the message? Ezekiel was called upon to internalize the message. Second, he was called upon to prioritize the message. Not just internalize the message, but this message was supposed to be a priority for him. Look with me in verse 4. And he, that's God, said unto me, Son of man, go, get the end of the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech or of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads, as an adamant harder than flint, Have I made thy forehead fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Ezekiel has been called by God to deliver a message of repentance. He has been commissioned to cry out for the people of Judah to return to God. He is not called into the heathen. God says, if I had sent you to the heathen, they probably would have repented. They would have repented, he says here. But I'm not sending you to the heathen. He says, I'm sending you to your own people, to your own language, to your own people, to give this message of repentance. But there's some new information that God adds to the commission in chapter 3 that he didn't mention in chapter 2. In chapter 2, God told Ezekiel to tell, to give the message of judgment and mercy, regardless of whether they heard and believed, or regardless of whether they heard and rejected. Well, look at me again in verse 7. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. God adds a little bit tidbit here. By the way, Ezekiel, I've told you to go and to tell, regardless of whether they will hear or not. Let me just give you a little inside track here, Ezekiel. They're not going to hear. They're not going to listen to you because they refuse to listen to me. But he's still required to give the message. And he's still enabled to give the message. God tells Ezekiel that he has made his face strong against their faces. In other words, he has given Ezekiel the the ability, the, the stamina, the courage, perhaps we might say the stubbornness, to give this message without fail. God will give Ezekiel the grace to withstand the ridicule and the persecution and the rebellion of the people. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 18, God told Jeremiah that he had made the prophet a defensed city, an iron pillar against the kings of Judah. It's the same idea that we see here. God says, Jeremiah, I've made you an iron pillar against the kings. You're going to cry out to kings. They're not going to listen to you, but I've made you strong to endure their, their wrath. He says, Ezekiel, I have made your face like adamant. I have made it like stone. I have made it hard as a rock so that when they scorn you and when they speak against you, you will be able to endure it and continue to give your message. Place yourself in Ezekiel's shoes for a moment, would you? Imagine being called by God to deliver a message that not only will not be well received, not only will be hated, not only will be disliked, but He's told them already it will be ignored. 
He's told them already that they're not going to listen to his message. Does the message then seem useless? You think, what a waste, right? God is sending a servant to deliver a message which, by God's own declaration, will be ignored. Why would God do such a thing? Why would God do such a thing? Turn with me to Psalm 117. Keep your thumb in Ezekiel. We'll be right back there. Psalm 117 is a pretty small book in our Bible. And it says this, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Two realities are highlighted here. First, is that God is merciful. Second, is that God's truth is eternal. Ezekiel is called by God to deliver the eternal truth of God's Word. Right? That's what he's doing. He is, he is calling for repentance. He is calling for them to respond to the Word of God. Why would God have anybody give a message to someone knowing that they're not going to listen? Because God's Word is not just eternal, but God is also merciful. See, just because they won't hear the message doesn't mean they can't hear the message. This is the idea of man's free will. We see it all throughout Scripture, the reality that man has a free will, that each person chooses for himself whether or not he or she will accept or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, will accept or reject the word of the Lord. And so God is going to, because he's a merciful God, give them the eternal truth of God's Word. He is going to give it to them and give them the opportunity to respond. Ezekiel was a messenger of God's grace to a people who didn't want to hear it, but Ezekiel's success was not found in convincing them. It was found in delivering the message. Now this reality is magnified in verses 12 through 21. In these verses we see the great responsibility of the message that was upon Ezekiel. Look with me beginning in verse 12. Then the Spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from His place. I heard also the noise of wings of living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels over against them, and the noise of the great rushing. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. So after this declaration of what he's called to do, he sees the glory of the Lord once again, confirming to him, yes, Ezekiel, it's about God's glory. It's about God's mercy. It's about God's truth. It's about everything that God is. You are delivering a message for God. You're not delivering a message trying to impress people or convince people. You're delivering a message that will give people an opportunity to respond to God. Verse 15, Then I came to them of the captivity at Tel Aviv that dwelt by the river of Kibar. And I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. And it came to pass at the end of the seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, 
Hear the word at my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man, and the righteous sin not, and he doth not Uh, That the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also thou hast delivered thy soul. The Spirit takes Ezekiel to his place of ministry, by the river Kibar, near Tel Aviv, the refugee camp there. For seven days Ezekiel sat in amazement. He was astonished both at what he had seen and at the message that God had called him to deliver. God again speaks to Ezekiel in verse 15, and this is where God clarifies Ezekiel's mission. He says, Ezekiel, this is your mission. You are the watchman. You're a watchman. What was a watchman? What was a watchman called to do? Say he was called a watch pastor. That's right, he was. A watchman in the city was a man who, particularly during the night, but also depending on the city during the day, would stand upon the wall of that city and would watch. He was a lookout. What was he looking out for? The enemy. (coughs) Excuse me. He was looking for the enemy. The watchman was not necessarily the best soldier. He was not necessarily the most able diplomat. He had one job. It's a pretty easy job, in a manner of speaking. He had to stay awake and watch for danger. And when he sees danger approaching, his role was to sound the alarm to everyone in the city. Now, his job was not to convince the city that there was danger. His job was not to bring them proofs of the danger. His job was to warn them of danger. If he announced the enemy, then his job was done. If his city ignored him, that was on their heads because he he announced the warning. The watchman had been responsible, had been successful in his responsibility as long as he warned. And no one could say he wasn't doing his job. But if the watchman failed, if the watchman failed to warn when he saw the danger, if he said, oh well, the city won't care anyway, then the watchman has failed. What if it's true? What if the watchman sees the danger approaching and he says, if I turn around and I call and I say, city, city, danger, it's coming. Hide. Barricade the door. Get your weapons. Whatever. City. And if the entire city looked at him and laughed and said, forget that guy. But what if What if one little old lady was in that city and the watchman said, City, protect yourself. Hide, run, do something. And that one little old lady turned 
went out the back gate and lived. The only reason she would have lived was because that watchman was faithful. Because that watchman actually did what he was called to do. Even if he assumed that no one in the city would listen. Maybe one person would. And if just one person listens, then didn't the watchman, wasn't it worth it for him? If just one person was saved when the city was destroyed, wasn't it worth it for the watchman to call the warning? But you know, if the watchman is so busy fretting about all those that won't listen, then he'll forget that someone might just listen. See, the fact of the matter is this. We are not called to convince everyone that there is a God. We are not called to convince everyone that there is judgment. We are not called to convince people that they're headed toward a sinner's hell. We're called to tell. To be messengers of the good news. And what if? What if all of that effort, all of that telling, sees scorn and ridicule and ignorance and refusal all your life and you say, I want to quit. This isn't working. This isn't doing any good. No one's listening. And then what if that very last time you're telling somebody who you are sure will never listen and they listen and they heed the warning and they accept Christ because you were a watchman and you did your duty and you told them what was coming. See, that's the thing. We can never know the heart of a man, can we? Or a woman or a child. You can never know if that person who has been hardened their whole lives against the Gospel might just have something going on in their lives through the Holy Spirit and all you have to do is tell them one more time, just one more time, and they'll listen and they'll repent. You can't know. And you don't have to know because it's not your job to know. It's simply your job to warn. It's simply your job to warn the watchman. We have a great responsibility. But notice the message was going to be supreme in Ezekiel's ministry. Look with me in verse 22. And the hand of the Lord was there upon me, and he said unto me, Arise, go forth into the plain, and I will talk with thee there. Then I arose and went forth into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, as the glory which I saw by the river Kebar, excuse me, and I fell on my face. Then the Spirit entered into me and set me upon my feet and spake with me and said unto me, Go, shut thyself within thine house, but thou, O son of man, behold, they shall put bands upon thee and shall bind thee with them. Thou shalt not go out among them. And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth, that thou shalt be dumb and shalt not be to them a reprover. For they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with thee, I will open thy mouth. And thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, He that heareth, let him hear. And he that forbeareth, let him forbear. For they are a rebellious house. This message was important to God, and God expected it to be important to Ezekiel. He expected that Ezekiel would internalize this message and recognize his responsibility. 
The message was so important, in fact, that God was going to do something miraculous in Ezekiel's life to confirm exactly how important this message was. You know, we all want God to speak through us, right? We all want to be that voice piece for God whereby people would hear, whether it's believers would hear and grow or that unbelievers would hear and get right with God. But when we talk about God working through us or doing something miraculous through us, we would never imagine what happened in Ezekiel's life. God told Ezekiel, he says, come out, I'm going to talk with you. The same thing happens that we saw in Ezekiel chapter 1. The angels come down, the, the flaming fire, the wheels within the wheels, everything. And he does the same thing that he did in Ezekiel 1. He falls down on his face in, in um, reverence. And then the same thing happens. The Spirit comes and lifts him up onto his feet. And God speaks with him and he says, this is what's going to happen, Ezekiel. You're going to go into your house. And they're going to bind you. They're going to, they're going to put you in chains, fetters. They're going, to, they're going to bind you up. They're going to think you're crazy. And I'm not going to let you speak except when you're speaking my message. I am going to bind your tongue to the roof of your mouth so the only time you can talk is when you're saying what I specifically want you to say. If I have a message to the people, then you're going to hear, then you're going to be able to speak and they're going to hear it. If I don't have a message, then you don't speak. God removed Ezekiel's ability to speak until God had a message to the nation. In doing so, Judah would know that every time Ezekiel opened his mouth to speak, God was speaking. What a great cost, though. It would be years, years, before Ezekiel will be able to speak again, except when God speaks through him. Years. The cost of this message because see this message was intended to be supreme God wanted it to be so obvious that he was speaking that he, he called upon Ezekiel to make this great sacrifice for the message would you be willing to make such a sacrifice is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ so important to you that you're willing to be the watchman who might face that ridicule to deliver the message? Is the message of God so important to you that it burns within you, as Jeremiah said, but His word was in my mouth as a burning fire shut up in my bones? I couldn't forbear but speak it? Our message is indeed similar to Ezekiel's. Our call and commission is indeed similar to Ezekiel's. But as we close, we're going to have a few songs coming up. Those songs are going to ask some questions. The first one that's going to be asked is, is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Is your life willing to be placed under the control of God to the extent where you are indeed willing to give the gospel even at the expense of perhaps your reputation or how people might think of you? And then we're going to, after we ask the question, we're going to sing a prayer. Take my life, Lord, and let it be consecrated to Thee. Take my tongue, take my hands, take my lips, take everything and use it for You. We're going to ask the question, 
then we're going to pray the prayer. And I trust that as you ask the question, the answer will be, yes, my all is laid. And I trust that as we, pr- as we sing the prayer, that you will be able to sing that with devotion, saying, yes, Lord, take it all. And let me just, as we close, give you a little bit of encouragement. Ezekiel was sent to a people. And God said, they will not hear, they will not listen, they will not regard. What's the difference between Ezekiel's ministry and ours? Do you know what it is? What's the difference between Ezekiel's ministry and our ministry? Have you ever read the New Testament and seen the words, they will not listen? Have you ever seen, when you read the Great Commission, or when you read Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples, do you ever see anywhere where Jesus said, I'm going to send you, as the Lord sent me, so send I you. I'm going to send you out to people. And by the way, none of them are going to listen. You've never heard that, have you? It's because he's never said it. What has Jesus Christ said? John 4. Look at the fields that are white unto harvest. What has Jesus said? Go ye into all the world and make disciples. The parables that Jesus Christ gave of the kingdom. The sower and the seed. As the sower plants those seeds, they all fell on stone, right? The sower went and threw the seeds and every single one of them fell on stone. And they all just shriveled up and died. And that's your ministry. Just keep sowing the seeds and just keep watching them fall on the stones. And they're all just gonna, they're all just gonna be, the birds are just gonna pick them all up and they're gone, right? That, that, that's the parable of the sower and the seed, right? No. That's not the parable of the sower and the seed, is it? The parable of the sower and the seed says, you sowed and, and sowed and sowed and some fell on thorny ground. Some fell on hard ground. Some fell where there were shallow roots. But some fell on good ground. And what happened to it when it fell on the good ground? It bore fruit. It manifested it doubled, it tripled, it multiplied, it bore fruit. And see, you're out there sowing like Ezekiel was out there sowing. And you're the watchman like Ezekiel was out there watching, watching and calling and sounding forth the danger. But the difference is God has never told you that you will not bear fruit through Him. God has never told you that they will not listen. God has only ever told you Consider the fields that are right under harvest. God has only ever told you that some seeds do fall on good soil. God has only ever told you that they that go before reaping will doubtless come again, bringing their sheaves behind them. Sowing, excuse me, not reaping. That's what God has told us. And so go. Tell. Last week we learned that our message is similar to Ezekiel's. Last week we learned that we need to be fearless. This week we see that we need to internalize the message. It needs to be a part of us. This week we see that the message ought to be supreme. It ought to have priority. But ladies and gentlemen, we need to go because when we go, we have this assurance that we're never wasting our time. And when we go, we recognize that God has never, ever, ever told us that we will not see fruit. He has only ever told us that as we bear, as we sow seeds, some will bear fruit. Some will reap.
and harvest will come.